Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. We got a great show for everybody tonight. David Shankle, X-Man Award. He's part of the David Shankle group right now. Actually, Paradox also back in the day for a short period of time. We've got an interview with David in the second half of the show. We're coming up first at 6.30. Punky Peru from Witch. I've been such a big fan of those guys for such a long time. It'd be great to have him on here and talk about the band and see what's happening with those guys today. But as everybody knows, this has been a very sad week in the world of heavy metal. AJ Piero from Adrenaline Mob and Twisted Sister and Cities and Tread and TT Quick for a short period of time passed away a couple of days ago at 55. You know, uh, AJ Piero is a native of Staten Island that lives about one town over from me in Grasmere. Uh, my daughter went to school with his son for a while and He's just a great guy and an amazing drum man. To die so young, it's such a shame. I mean, it just goes to show you, one night you're playing in front of in a club in front of people on the drum set. The next day you wake up dead in the bed. It's just incredible how quickly life goes by. But let me get Tommy here on the line, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more. Tell you what's going on, buddy. Speaking of deadheads, no, I'm only teasing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I could go next, you know. But, uh, no, it's yeah. very sad, especially when <sighs> – you know, we all knew the fella, you know, and, um, <clears throat> and it, it just, it's too yeah. much, you know, it's just too much at once. And, uh, well, you know, he was doing what he loved to do, you know, and, True. uh, God had a plan, you know, what could you that's say? right. It's just, you know, like I said, it's just, cause, you know, when, when you go with 75, 80 years, like somebody passed away, I can't remember who it was about right. two weeks ago, and they were like, they're like, they like passed away at 85 years old. It was a famous person, an actor or something, I don't remember. Right. And right. so I was like, what did he die of? I'm like, well, 
It's just old age. I mean, it's 85 years old. I mean, you know, if you can make it 85 in this world, God bless you. When you hear like 45, like here in New York, uh, the Channel 7 reporter, uh, Lisa Colagrassi, beautiful lady. Right, right. Passed, she had an aneurysm while working, 49 years old or 47 yeah. years old. I mean, yeah. 49. Yeah. That's our age bracket, buddy, you know? You know, that's what I said. I'm next. No, I'm like, yeah, you know, but it's, you never know when God's going to call you home. It's just a shame. Like I said, one of the nice guys, it, it could have happened to D. Schneider. I don't think anybody would care, but. Especially nah. after the rants. He's been... <laughs> not nice. Not nice. <laughs> well, listen, he's been bad mouthing a lot of people lately over the last couple of weeks. Besides yeah, he going apo- off the He apologized to, uh, what's his, uh, yeah, he apologized oh. to one, and then he started picking on uh, on Kiss. But in a, a way, kiss, I that agree was... with him with Kiss. <laughs> I, 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 I agree, too. But you know what? When you live in a glass house, don't throw stones. I mean, he's got a lot of shit, oh, too. No, you're you know? 100% right. You're 100% right. But, you know, listen, but Rodney you know King's what it the is? It's the whole, you know, it's the whole... Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, like people don't think before they pick up that fucking thing and write something on it, you know? True. Yeah. I've done it myself, um, you know, and I'll, on Facebook too. So, like, on Facebook, you can go back and edit. Sometimes I can't edit on my phone, but uh, yeah. when, when I get to, like, a computer, I go in and I edit what I said because, you know, it's a little harsh, a little this, a little that. Sometimes uh. I'll just get rid of the whole, you know, the whole posting because I, I don't realize what I'm doing. But it's nothing really that vicious. Some people just, you know, they don't realize, you know, they put, once you push that button, especially on Twitter, Instagram, oh. you can't, I don't know if you can delete them, you know, so be yeah. careful what you write, so to speak. Well, you, you see these celebrities, they put something really stupid on there and then they delete it yeah. a second later, but you know, somebody's already copied it. Like me, I never have any regrets on nothing I post because I don't give a crap. I just say what I want to say because that's how I feel mm-hmm. and I don't change my mind later on. So I don't think you give a rat jazz, but I, I do get it. But he's been going a little off the hook, you know. Uh, but you know what? It's not about that. Like I said, it's about AJ Perro passing away. Great drummer, an amazing talent. He's going to be missed. We opened up with Twisted Sister. How about we do a little mini tribute to AJ Perro? Uh, we'll yeah. do some uh, new Adrenaline Mob off the last record. Then we'll do the title, Daily Departed. And we'll follow it up with some cities. And then we'll get right back to some talking, some music, and Punky Peru about 10 minutes after that. So uh, here you go. Off the brand new Adrenaline Mob record, at least the one from last year, Daily Departed.
All right, City's not alone in the dark. Another AJ Pero tune. Like I said, he's gone. So rest in peace, AJ Pero. What can you do? Anthony, what was that? Anthony, Anthony Jude Pero, I believe. Jude, yeah. Anthony Jude. All right, that's it. A little mini tribute over there to the drummer. And uh, the Funky Peru, another drummer coming in about 15 minutes. I was reading before on Brave Words, T, that uh, Black Sabbath's last show ever is going to be at the OzFest in Japan in November. That, that's going to be it for the band, no more. So that's I'm kind of hoping they can uh, work something out to get Bill Ward back in the fold for this year and go out the way they came in with the four of them. And I, I find it funny that Sharon Osbourne made the announcement yet, but when all the shit with Bill Warden was going down, she kept saying, I have nothing to do with that. That's Black Sabbath business. That has nothing yeah, to do with me. Right, right, yeah, now right. she's announcing Black Sabbath business. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. You know, she's got a lot of uh, similarities with uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, they're, they're both evil bitches. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wait, you know what? I got uh, Punky Peru, uh, I think it was after which he was in a band called AWOL or AWAL. It is AWOL. So, uh, and I, they had something to do with Sharon Osbourne. So, we have to ask him about that when he, really? uh, well, yeah, yeah, I don't remember what it was. Uh, we'll ask, we'll find out. We'll ask what the relationship was with Sharon Osbourne. They had something to do with, her. I don't know, maybe I thought she was managing them, but maybe she was helping. I don't know. I mean, she's really just a manager back then. So, we'll have to ask him and find out. It'd be something to bring up during a conversation, no? All right, and also Saxon is hitting the road. They're coming here. They're going to be headlining their own, you know, their own tour with uh, with Armour Saint opening up on most of the gigs, which is really cool, especially here in New York. But they're going out with Judas Priest, which is even uh -huh. better. Now that's the way a show is supposed to be. You know what I mean? You have you have Judas Priest headlining and another classic band from that same era, you know, on the bill with them. Not like Black Sabbath last year, but it had a DJ opening up the show. And I'm like, you know, you could have gave so many bands, like you know, so many '80s bands, the opportunity. Open up for you guys, and they didn't do it. I mean, you know, it's like that kind of paid forward type thing or paid down, however you want to call it. And that really should have happened last year. So I'm glad Judas Priest are doing that. And maybe they could even get one more local band from an area on who's been playing for a long time and give them a little, give them that experience, give them that chance to play in an arena, you know? Sure. It would be incredible. We'll see Pete Rotz up on a stage in Madison oh, Square Garden with Saxon and Judas Priest. I have a heart attack. That would be incredible. That would be amazing. Absolutely. You know they never I know. Listening, I think I was listening to a little bit of uh, a Biff uh, interview or reading it. You know, was a listening. And they were talking about uh, in 2012, it was Motorhead, Saxon, and Priest. But somewhere in Europe, because the interviewer sounded... Uh, he sounded like French or Belgish. Belgish. Oh, okay. Belgish. <laughs> that would be a what great show, Belgium? too. Belgium. Belgium. Belch. 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 It sounds good to me. Belch. Belch, right? Like Welsh. Belch. I don't know. It's going to be fun. He may have been from Belgium or, you know, something like that. Some fruity. Uh, no, no, I'm again. Damn, <laughs> you can't go back and edit that. Remember, this is live. I know, but see, <laughs> I have an alter ego with you guys, with you. There you go. I have to look that up now. After we play the next, I have to look up and see what what do you call Belgian people? Belgians, no? Belgians. Okay. Belgians. Like, there you go. When you say someone's French or Italian, but well, you we, say somebody well Belgian. French. Fr well, Italian. Well, from Italy, you're Italian. Right. Well, you're from France. You're an asshole. Uh, what else is there? <laughs> you've been you've been in France, so you know. 
Hey, I've been there a couple of times, and they all are. <laughs> Except for Laurent from Snake Pit. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, we're just kidding around. We're having some fun here. All right, you know, let's stop having fun. Let's get some music on before we get in trouble. <laughs> all right. Here's Hammerhead, Masters of Frustration. Take you down into his world The master of deception Will twist and turn your words People say it's magic It's just a lot of the truth Mocking love and all that is By deceiving all of you Masters of frustration Power to your mind Masters of frustration Another reminder The precious time is waiting
All right, which with damnation, we're going to get Punky Peru on the line right about now, and we'll get that interview going. You know, Tia, I remember when I got the hexes on, you know, I bought the album cover because of that girl with that, you know, with her ass sticking out. Yeah. This is the blonde hair. I got to ask him if he knew who that was or if it was just a model. Hope he doesn't say it was his wife. Well, you just asked nicely, you know, yeah. I, I could do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, what the hell? We'll ask him because that's how I got by into the, the way, band. You know that. Say, by the way, I look like somebody. I used to know, you know. Just yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. That's the way. But you know how you, most of the time when you were a kid, you went to the record store, you bought albums based on the cover, if they looked, you know, cool or not. And that right. was definitely a cool album cover. So uh, we'll get him on the line. And you know, it was funny. Like I said, I was interviewing uh, that kid, Tyler Morris. And we're going to have an interview with him on the show in two weeks. Uh, we usually don't do a show Easter Sunday because, I, you know, I spend it with the family. But uh, I have an interview this week with Axe Master that has to be pre-recorded and that one. So we're going to put them together on a show and there'll be a pre-recorded show the week after next for Easter. Uh, so if you can't listen in, please do. The chat won't be open, but we'll, it will be a brand new show. So I had to care. I was like, you know, it's a pleasure for you to talk with me today. He's like, yeah, it is. Thank you. I was like, okay. <laughs> it kind of went over his head, the kid. All right, enough of that nonsense. Let's get Funky on the line here. <laughs> okay. Sit back while we dial out. It actually works. Ah. So far. Hello? Punky, this is Mike from Heavy Metal Mayhem. How are you? Hey, Mike. What's going on, man? Man, it's great to talk with you today. Yeah. Hey, where are you from? Uh, New York City. New York City. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, spent, I just spent six months on the East Coast, and I don't get it. What, what don't you get? What is the big deal? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I was out on the West Coast with you. I I don't want to be here either. Unfortunately, <laughs> right there's it's nothing nicer here. out here. I I went out there. I went out there to have a baby. Well, actually, I wasn't having a baby. My wife was having a baby. I was just I was just watching. But um, <laughs> I mean, I I did more than watching the developmental uh, process of it. So. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's nothing going on here. You're better off in California. You got sun most of the year round. The beaches. Yeah, that's the way to live. Yeah, it's it's nice. Let me tell you, I'm I'm happy to be back here. That's for sure. Oh, uh, man. Well, well, you were here on the East Coast. I wish you would have gotten the band together to do a show here because I waited throughout the '80s and it never happened. And I would love to see that happen one day. Oh, which on the East Coast? Yeah, I would love to see Witch out here back in the day. It never happened, but oh, that's too bad. It, it, you know, it was a lot of fun, definitely. Yeah. Well, listen, I remember when I first got into you guys when I went to the record store and I saw the album cover of that girl with that ass sticking out, and I was like, "Holy shit, I got to get this album cover!" And that's what kind of turned me on to the, you know, the album and the band. And I was saying, "Do you know who that girl was?" Well, you know, it's funny. My 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 wife heard you say, "I hope that's not his wife." And yeah. um, she goes, I wasn't even born when you guys did that album. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to insult anybody or offend anybody. <laughs> so I figured I have to ask you. Um, no, you know, I at the time I knew who she was, but um, there was a girl named Mitzi Gorder, and she dated this this guy that was in a top forty band back then, and. Um, yeah, I mean, we just we just thought that the hair had the cool look, and yeah. and uh, you know, 
it, it looked better than having Pete, you know, Pete's ass up there, you know? <laughs> I think so. Those top 40 guys, even back then, they were getting all the girls, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think they probably still are, you know, because, uh, yeah, I, because they have they have longevity, you know? they You could play in the top 40 bands for, like, ever. True. It doesn't go nowhere. That's yeah. the one con you know, constant. Uh, but, you know, you, you get back to which, and, and I think about, like, you guys had everything going on for you, in my opinion, back then. You guys had the look, the attitude. You had the music to back it up, not just, like, a, a stage show. You guys had everything going on that you could ask for in a band. And, you know, the Hex is all came out, and I was like, wow, man. And, but, and then it just, like, it kind of fizzled away and died out. At least, you know, we, there weren't magazines reporting about you guys all the time or bands back then, so it was kind of hard to know what was going on. We lived in different parts of the country or the world for that matter. And it just seems like it just didn't right, happen. Yeah, like but, but, yeah, you know, it, we just, we had so many opportunities and so many labels that, that looked at us and actually worked with us and were paying for stuff and demos and, and shows and this and that. It was just, it was one disappointment after another, I think. And it, it just got to a point where, um, where it was time to, to, you know, try something else. So, yeah. Well, uh, the band basically, I guess, formed out of the ashes of the remnants of Ampage, who kind of were on and off for quite a few years. And I guess most of you guys met, met or hooked up throughout being in that band at one time or another, and then morphed into into which? Is that correct? Yeah, Ampage was was kind of the start of it all. Um, we were all just like kids, you know, like high school kids. And, um, and then after, after Ampage kind of broke up, Pete, Pete went and got, it was funny because me and Pete were actually living together and Pete went and, and got in, in one band and I went and got in a band. And then, um, um, I started playing with Don Costa and we were trying to get Pete into that project, into the Damien thing. And Don wanted to sing and, and it was funny because me and Pete just knew that we would end up, you know, we were talking about forming a band, you know, which, which ended up being which, and it was just, it just needed to, you know, the cycle just needed to continue through with it. So. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, I'm sorry. Cause I forgot you wouldn't let the wolf, uh, after Amperage actually, uh, before Damien. Well, you know, I, I never, here's the deal with that. It, it, the band, it was kind of the first carnation of leather, but it wasn't leather. Okay. It was, you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was me and Jeff Gare were playing together, and and in a band called called Rage, and then um, when I left Rage, they got Dean and Carrie. I think came. I think Dean and Carrie came as a package or something. So, um, and they had the same bass player and and Jeff, of course, and Carrie, and then and then they got rid of the singer and got Mike. So it was oh, okay. kind of the first carnation of it, but it wasn't called Leatherwolf. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, when you hook up with all these bands and you first get into them, do you think like this is the band that I'm going to be in for the rest of my life and this is the band that's going to make it? Or when does it turn sour? When do you realize sometimes that, like, you know, this just isn't working out, it's not going anywhere? Because you did have Damien going. That looked really promising back in the day. And I'm sure Don Costa jumped ship when Ozzy called him over to call him up to go over play with Ozzy for that time period. I think the day and a half he was there, whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened with that. We were, you know, Damien was rolling fine. There were no no problems. And, and um, 
and Don was actually super excited about it. And then, bam, you know, he got the offer to go to go play with Ozzy and speak of the devil to her. And, and he was just like, man, what am I supposed to do? You know, I got to go. And, and so, but, but you know what? Things happen for a reason because it was that, that, that got me and Pete to start which, but the funny thing is, 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 you know, then, then Costa got, got Ozzy a, uh, a month before, well, not like two, three weeks before the first witch show. And, um, you know, like two days before the US Festival. And he called me up and said, Hey, I'm out of Ozzy. Let's put Damien back together. And I said, Oh, okay. But, but I go, give me, like, we're doing this show with Witch, you know, and we've been rehearsing for it. And it's the first show. And, you know, I got to do this one show. And then the Witch show was so awesome, man. I, I, it just, yeah. it went so well. And the place was packed. And, and I just told Costa that it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So. I heard that he wanted to put down on his uh, tour rider that Sharon had to supply him with the stainless steel cheese graters. And she said, no way. And that's why he got kicked out of the band. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if that was the exact reason, but I, I, you know, it's funny because I did, you know, later on after that, well, shoot, that was, that was back in what? 83. I think it was about 87 is when I when I first met Ozzy and Sharon when when um, Sharon signed Lita and uh, and they were kind of we were out to dinner one night and the conversation with Don Costa came up and and uh, they were <laughs> I guess yeah Sharon did not like them too well and yeah. uh, and Don made some comment to, to Ozzy about his you know bitch wife or whatever and. Ozzy punched him in the nose and threw him out of the bus in the middle of the snow. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know how that went. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I remember reading on the site because when you had, after, we'll get back to which, but when you had AWO going, you had you had mentioned something on the site, it was mentioned that you, were, you had dealings with Sharon Osborne at that time. I guess you were friendly with her from before that. And I guess it was maybe helping you or helping the band get going, AWO, or with shows or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, I heard you say that, and I, you know, I started, it's funny, because <laughs> I forget a lot of things, and, and then when I hear somebody mention something, it kind of, it kind of re-sparks the, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, what happened with that was, was, let's see, so, let's see, though, when I first met Sharon was like, 87, and then... It had to be around what ninety one or something when when AWOL came out, and at that time, I was um, you know Taunton Mastery was was managing was managing Witch. Okay, now it's all coming to Taunton was managing Witch, but KNEC was telling her you can't manage a, you can't manage a band. So we were trying to get Sharon to manage the band or kind of like put her name uh, yeah. in with the band, and at the time. She wasn't ready to to take on another band, but what she did do for us is she helped us. She put us on some high-profile shows, and um, she was managing um, London Choir Boys at the time, and she put us on a bunch of shows with London Choir Boys and and stuff like that. So she kind of she kind of helped the band out, but uh, but that was kind of what that was all about. 
Yeah. You know, because, you know, most people would rather go out to dinner with Hitler and Mussolini than to go out with Sharon Osbourne, at least fans of Harry Mel. Was she like an evil person or was she okay back then? Because most people despise her You know today, what? You know? I, yeah, I, she, she's an evil person. I, I think, I mean, she's just a, a very business savvy. Um, I always liked her. It was funny because, okay, I got along great with her and um, she liked me. I liked her. But then... When Lita and I parted ways, Sharon's like, oh, just take Punky's music. You know, he owes you. Oh. And um, and kind of talked Lita into just, like, not giving me my royalties or my writer's credit and stuff for my songs. And, and, uh, and so then I had to actually, you know, sue Lita and Sharon, and, and I won. And then next time I saw Sharon... She like gave me a big hug and she goes, I can't believe you. She goes, you mother after she goes, she goes, you went up against Sharon Osbourne and Peter, you know? And I go, I get my shit, you know, what do you, yeah. what do you do? So, I mean, we still, we still were friends. Yeah. So it's, it's, just, it's the way she does business, I guess, you know, I mean, Absolutely, I hear yeah. some stories, the way she treats band members and it, it, you know, I guess it, it doesn't sound, you know, too good, you know, but yeah. Well, I tell you, Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake should hire you because they've been waiting 30 years to get their money. They should get in touch with you and have you go to court with them. Well, yeah, and I guess that I guess that's she was trying to do with Lita what she does with 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 Ozzy's band members. It's kind of like you know, if you want to play with Ozzy, you know, then you give up all your 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 songwriting and stuff. It, yeah. Ozzy gets the songwriting. Otherwise you don't get to be in the band and then you don't get the exposure. So it's kind of one of those things where your hands are kind of tied because that's definitely going to cannibal, cannibal your career, but yeah. you're just not going to get any money for it. It's but so you know what? Funny. It's like, if, if you're, if you're not in the band, you're not going to get the money either. So that, you know, that, that, that's, that's true. So it's, I always say, I mean, you know, I mean, she made, I mean, not that Ozzy needed to be any more famous than he was. I mean, it's Ozzy Osbourne, for Christ's sake. But I mean, she catapulted him to a whole nother level. She made him a million, a million times over. I give her credit for that. Like I said, she's definitely a savvy businesswoman. She knew exactly what to do to make him, you know, to take him to the stratosphere and other people. But it's just like something about it that irks everybody, I guess. You know, and it's just, but I guess they're, I guess they're laughing at me when they're sitting in their mansion at night, you know, <laughs> eating ham and, and turkey dinners. And I'm sitting here, you know, not doing that. So who am I to talk? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's kind of a bitter thing. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. So, yeah. I mean, you know, she's funny as hell. That's that's for sure. Both both those two are, are just yeah. hilarious. But but um, just just yeah, think of the I mean, as far as doing as far as doing business, it's probably you know not a good business situation. Yeah, but I mean, just look at all the stuff you're talking about. I mean, that's the stuff that you lived through and went through in the '80s. I mean, to me, I mean, you know, there were a lot of great decades after that. But as far as music goes, and feeling like you're involved in a, in a scene in, in the music business, that had to be the be all, the end all for most bands. Yeah, it, it you know it really was because there's so much going on, and there's so many, you know, you're just right in the middle of it and, and the temptations and stuff. And it's like, sometimes you look back and you go, well, you know, could I have done more if I did things different, you know, but it's like, yeah, but then it, you wouldn't have all these experiences, you know? So I don't know. True. 
Well, like we're saying, getting back to which, you know, the, you guys work hard, you put the music together, the album comes out, you start getting, you know, a, a bigger fan base. What happens after that then? I mean, do you try it? Because you did a lot of shows like out in California, out in the West Coast in that area. But what happens? Were there any attempts made to try to get on a tour, like a major tour to get out across the country or go out on your own headline in the, the, the clubs? or Because it seems like nothing really materialized after that, at least as far as we could tell over here. Yeah, well, you know, the way the way that whole thing worked is was we could have done that, but I mean, we were all available to just to go out on the road across U.S. and stuff. But it it's like we're from L.A., you know, yeah. so it's like all the record labels in our, were in L.A., you know, all but I think Atlantic and Chrysalis, I think, were the only two in New York. And every other re and every other um, record label was in LA. So, do you want to sit there and play every night in these clubs across the U.S.? You know, playing to you know I don't know how many people, but but um, or do you want to play? In, you know, where you're going to have the opportunity of these record labels to see you and all the the industry talk. Um, you know, and and I, we just felt there was a better opportunity of staying in LA and keep showcasing our band where all the yeah. record labels are. So. Well, that makes sense. Cause I really, LA was epicenter of all, you know, everything rock and metal in the eighties. I mean, that's where it was all happening. So I, that makes complete sense. I, I get that. It just sucked for the fans who really were looking to catch you guys out on tour or seeing any, you know, play, but it just it doesn't happen that way sometimes. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not that we didn't want to, and we just thought, that we eventually would, you know, we figured the longer we, that we stayed in LA and, and waited until we got, got a deal and then can go out on the road. And it just, it just didn't happen that way. So, yeah. you know, if, if we knew what the outcome was going to be at the end, then I think we would all probably agree that it would have been nice to, to uh, showcase ourselves to the, to the, to the fan base rather than the, than the labels. So, yeah. When did you know it was over? I, I know it was like the late eighties, probably 89. Uh, when did it like, just hit you? Like, you know, this is it, you know, the band's not going to go on anymore. What was the reason? I mean, that it didn't go on anymore. Well, it was, it was funny. Cause I, okay. We're actually, I'd say we're from LA, but I just used LA as, as a term. Um, yeah. we we're basically all from, from orange County, you know, I mean, that's where we grew up. Um, was, was in Orange County. So, um, it, ah, where was I going with this? Um, we knew, okay, I had moved up to LA and I was commuting down to Orange County to rehearse. And I started just jamming with other people up in LA when I wasn't, when I wasn't down in Orange County jamming with which. So I was playing with like Chris Hager and, and Whoop Warner um, from black and blue and Sean McNabb and, 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 a, and a bunch of different people up in the LA scene. And we were, we were doing jams, jam nights. And we were putting, we were planning on putting together different, different projects and, and this and that. So it just got to a point where why am I going all the way down to orange County when this and kind of beating a dead horse is what, is what I was thinking. The bands, you know, everybody's seen us and everybody passed on us and, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, I kind of pulled the kind of pulled the plug on it and started doing, you know, projects up in up in LA. 
Yeah. So, and you it's know a, what? Looking back, I don't know. Was that the right thing to do? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, you know, but um, I think everybody in the band, there was, there was a lot of tension and a lot of frustration. Um, you know, nothing, nothing major, major. Um, uh, like to this day, we're all still friends. We, we all talk. And yeah. uh, so I don't know. Well, you know, when you, I mean, you can look back on it now, you probably say it probably was the right thing to do because it wasn't many, maybe three, four more years later, the whole scene just kind of disappeared anyway. And since you guys were still trying to make it at that point, uh, it probably wouldn't have went nowhere anyway because everything just kind of collapsed upon itself in the 90s with grunge. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like where I kind of, you know, and so basically in 19, which broke up in 89 and then like, for the next two years, I did Firewater and AWOL. And, you know, I auditioned for some bands like Dokken and Alice Cooper and stuff, but nothing ever came of it. And then the grunge hit. And I just couldn't get on board with it. You know, I was like, I just felt my heart wasn't in it. You know, so I kind of yeah. I kind of stepped, stepped away from the whole music scene. I actually flew out to Hawaii and stayed there for like eight, 10 months or something and just to kind of regroup and try to figure out, you know, what I was, what I was going to do, but I don't know. It's incredible. Well, in the late nineties, I mean, you did have, uh, you had God box going right around 96, 97, 98, that, that time frame. Yeah, that, that was an interesting deal. It was like, and, and the funny thing was, was, was I was, I was um, in Idaho skiing with Ronnie because Ronnie had moved to Idaho and we were up there skiing and I got this phone call uh, from my wife saying, Hey, you gotta, you gotta come home. You got a, a meeting with a, a record label tomorrow. And this was like in 97. I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah, she goes, um, you know, they heard this demo tape that, that you and Pete and Henry put together, which Henry was the guitarist in, in Ampage. And, um, I'm like, well, all I remembered was we sat in my garage. I had a studio in my garage like about six months previous and we put together a bunch of like old tunes and stuff. And, and so anyway, I flew home and I went to this meeting and I get in the elevator um, and Howard Lees hops in the elevator with me. And I'd never met Howard Lees at the time. And we go up and I'm like, I had no idea we were both going to the same place. And we, we walked into the same place and, you know, I'm like, huh, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, Higher Source Records goes, yeah, we're going to, you know, sign your band and we're going to put you in the studio. And and um, this is your producer, Howard Lease, and this is going to be your bass player, Phil Chin. And and um, we're, you know, we're going to e- either have um, Jake e. Lee or Rowan Robertson play guitar. We haven't decided yet. I'm like, what? Wow. You know, and it was, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty trippy, trippy thing. And, and, um, and anyway, it was like me and Pete and Henry and, and then Rowan was, was the guitarist and Phil Chin played bass. Who's, you know, a God who played with, you know, Phil Chin's played with everybody, you know, but, um, it, that was a pretty cool, cool experience. And, and it, you know, at the end, it was funny because at the end they shelved the whole thing. And and that well and then I don't know if you heard it because we we released it on the last uh, witch release we put the songs on there so on the, on the damnation one 
No, 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 no. There's another one that came out on FNA Records um, about two years ago. It's yeah, called, the Hex is on. Um, it's called the Hex, the Hex is on and then some. That's right, yes. Yeah, and that's, that's got those those songs on it that yeah. we did. And then, and then they, they also brought in, like, I mean, we had a bunch of people come in and play on it. Like Chris Holmes played on a song and Slash played on a song and Keith Emerson and, and Steve Stevens and all these people. So it was kind of like a who's who in Hollywood kind of kind of deal. But yeah. It was, it was, it was cool. And what, that's some great stuff. You know, I remember about 10 years ago, you know, word of mouth through the metal grapevine was, you know, which are getting back together. So I was like, oh, man. So I started looking around, trying to find stuff. Then I see some clips of you guys playing live and Betsy Bitches fronting the band. I'm like, wow, how the hell did that happen? You know, and then I look <laughs> back on that, that Peter was actually part of that uh, reunion. But I guess something happened and he couldn't continue with it. And you brought Betsy in. Well, you know, and the interesting thing on that, here's how that happened. We, we literally, the guys hadn't talked in, cause you got to remember something back then, you know, I mean, when we, in the eighties there, we, we didn't even have cell phones and stuff, let alone internet. <laughs> yeah. and, stuff. and, and, um, I mean, and it, it made people be more dependable, even rockers, because you had to show up where you were supposed to show up or you, you couldn't text and say, I'm not going to be there, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, we, we, um, when, when Facebook and, and, um, what was that? MySpace and all that stuff came out and we, we hadn't talked in so long. And all of a sudden we were all hooking up, hooking up on this, uh, internet media, whatever you, social media, whatever you call it. And so we all started talking and, uh, we're like, ah, let's, you know, Pete was in Oklahoma or Texas or something. And, Ronnie in Idaho and Jim and I were in California and we're like, let's get together and let's, let's jam, you know? So we all flew in for a weekend and we jammed and, and Pete, Pete just wasn't into it really. And, um, so Pete took off and, and we were like, okay, well, this was fun, you know? And we're like, well, we can't do which without, without Pete. And then we go, well, unless we did something so abstract, you know, where yep. you don't want to get somebody that's trying to imitate Pete. Cause for one thing, Pete's got a pretty, you know, it's just a different voice. It's a hard voice to copy, but, um, you know, so we, I go, well, why don't we get like, you know, a chick, get Betsy bitch or something that would be, so then we're obviously not trying to replace Pete. We're trying to do something completely, you know, and, and she's from the same era and stuff. But yep. you know, it, it was it 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 wasn't witch, obviously, but but I mean, she stepped in and she did a really good job. So, but well, did you think of continuing on with Betsy at that point, like maybe recording and doing stuff, or were you just like, you know, we're just gonna do these live shows and that's kind of it? Um, you know, I I, I think we talked about it, and I will tell you this. <laughs> I don't like to say about bad stuff to me, but there's nothing bad about Betsy. Working with, you know, after being in a band like Witch with four guys and you know stuff, it was it was it just wasn't the same. It was difficult working working with her. Um, not in any way that she's not professional, but it was just different. You know what I mean? And um, so we talked about it, but I don't know. I, I 
my heart wasn't there, and I think I think the rest of the guys felt the same way. It got to a point where I was going, I'm having fun jamming, but this isn't witch, and so if I'm going to do something that's not witch, then I might as well do something that's not witch, you know, all together. Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I don't think you have to explain to anybody that being or doing anything with a woman is difficult. And I apologize if your wife is listening because uh, my wife's giving me the evil right now myself. So, but that's just life. I was just kidding around. But and, you know, like you said, you're right. If you're going to do something that wasn't witch, why do that? Do something different. But if you did get back together with Peter somewhere years later down the road, and you you consider like, you know, line up a view because – which had a lot of different people coming in and out over the years and different incarnations. But you consider like you, Peter, Jim, and, and Ronnie, like the classic lineup or the core lineup of the, of the band? Oh, yeah. we. I mean, without a doubt, that was the, the, the classic lineup. You know, um, you know, there were some differences and, and some breakups and, and, and trying some other lineups and, and stuff like that. But, I, I I don't think either none of us would would disagree that that was by far the the classic lineup when you think of which so yeah and you know, it really we, was we, we 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 played the most shows together and and so forth so it was some great but stuff. I mean they even did they did a few shows without me so <laughs> nobody's you know, safe funny because I don't think there's not one witch member that did every single show. <laughs> That's no, nobody is safe, you know. If you're feeling under the weather, oh, that I'm day, you're you, man. <laughs> nobody's safe. I'll tell you what, we always had the same with which so you didn't want to be the last one walking into a room. You, you know, you didn't want to be the. It, it just because we would, we had no problems throwing whoever wasn't in the room under the bus. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> if you're late, you know you're gonna get shitted on. You got to be there on time. <laughs> that happens. What's going on in the like if, if you're late to a witch function, no matter what it was, you know, an interview, a rehearsal, a gig, or whatever, you'd be better off just just driving in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. Fuck, anything gonna happen with witch in the future? Um, you know, never say never is all I could say. Um, Good. I that that would be all I could say about that. That's all you, you, you do. Have anything happening musically right now? Well, you know it's funny. Um, I you know Ronnie's Ronnie's up in Idaho. He's got a band called um, Mary the Mistress. Um, Pete's been doing just some studio stuff. Um, Jim and I actually live across the street from each other, and we've been we've been talking. You know about. I had a solo project. He had a solo project. So we were, and, and each one of us played on each other's solo project. So we've been talking about, about doing something, but you know, since the reunion we did when which did a show last June, I guess, um, yeah. you know, basically haven't really done anything, you know, since then, like I said, I went out to the East coast for six months and had a kid. So I don't, <laughs> okay. That's I a job in my, itself. But yeah, exactly. So. Well, hey, Funky, I'm going to have to let you go because I want to play some music. I have another guest coming on. I know you and Jim live across the street from each other. When he comes over to your house, does he have to salute you and say permission to enter? Yeah. You are a captain. <laughs> <laughs> you are Captain Funky, you know. 
<laughs> That's true, huh? Now, are you kidding me? The only, he might spit on me. <laughs> that's all good stuff hey well Punky, listen man the best of luck with anything you do in music i'll always be there for you to support you and and to listen to it and i appreciate you taking out the time to talk to me today on a sunday i'll let you get back to your family and uh, you enjoy the rest of your day all right thanks mike been real you too punk. take care good talking okay. to you all mr right. punky peru of which amperage a a wall. Uh, my God, he had so many bands that he was in during the day. So many bands he was a part of. I mean, you know, uh, the Punky Peru Party, the Peru Crew. Great drummer, great musician, and a real cool guy. Let's get on one more tune by Witch. And then uh, we have David Shankle coming up in a little bit. Here's Take Me Away.
All right, Witch with Take Me Away. Poggy was a great guy to talk to, T. Real fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. These are like, you know, you know we, we've interviewed I don't know, like 700 guests we've had on the show. We've had everybody on the show from Rob Halford down to some kid playing guitar in his garage in Wisconsin. I mean, we've, we've interviewed everybody. And yeah. it's always great when you have somebody that's fun like that and can laugh and have a good time. It just yeah. sucks when you have another guest waiting to do an interview with because you kind of have to like cut it short. Like, we, you, you know, you can talk forever. Then we have other guests who, you know, you have to extract teeth out of them to get them to talk and say a word, you know? How <laughs> true, right? Yes, but you know what? We'll have to have Punky back on again in the future and do a round two with him and get into more detail. But if you're looking to find things out about Witch, there's a great website called witchtheband.com. I mean, this site chronicles the band before they were the band till after they were the band and all bands and projects that each of the members were a part of. And there's some great pictures up there. And uh, there's a whole tour, you know, the discography is up there, uh, tour notes, everything. Uh, so if you're a fan of Witch, and why wouldn't you be? Because they were one of the classics from back in the day. Uh, head over there and uh, and check out that website. Uh, but we what do have David Shankel. Oh, I'm, well, I'm sorry, Teddy. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, yeah you could. No, no. I was just going to say we have David Shankel come up in about 15 minutes. A little, a little later. Yeah, but I was very interested in when he was talking about uh, um, Sharon. Oh yeah, How, yeah. Um, he was with Lita. He wrote songs with Lita, Ford, yep. and. Sharon just said, oh, just take his music, you know? And <laughs> well, that sounds like, all right. Figured, I guess that's what I should do. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, a little, I'm a little pissed at Lita herself because how would she like if somebody did that to her? You know what I mean? Um, well, have you heard of Lita's just, last couple of records? <laughs> well, what, when, when did he help her? I don't even know. Like, I'm not really that privy to uh, how, when, when did he record? You know, I... I should have asked. I this is completely no, it was probably during her her early solo albums when when Sharon was uh, in you know involved with. Well, her. Sharon was involved with her during the Close My Eyes Forever, uh, the late eighties right. and the early nineties. So it had to be around yeah. that time. Yeah, so yeah that would have been uh, three, first first couple albums, of records. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, first yeah. three. So you figure, you know, but that just shows you par for the course. And then she yeah. jokes and says, "Oh, you beat Sharon Osbourne." You know, what the fuck? You know, like you even said, fucking, I mean, how could one court understand it and give the guy back his royalties, but another court totally ignores it? She's got money, man, and money just, money speaks. You know? Well, if you read the Bob Daisley book, you know, she was That's suing, uh, I'm sorry, the two, all, yeah. the two of them were suing, uh, I mean, Bob and Lee Kersling, excuse me. They were suing Jet Records, which was Sharon's father's label, Don Arden at the exactly time. Right. Uh, right. This lawsuit was with them. And then when Sharon had the falling out with her father, she got on Bob Daisley's side. So listen, I'm going to fight with you in your corner against my father, okay. blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then time went by and time went by. You know, I'm not going to get to every little detail because you really should read the book. It's a great read. Time yeah, goes by and then Sharon kept pushing it off and pushing it off and saying, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't do that. And then she patchings up with her father, but she didn't. She wasn't pushing up because she patches up with her father. She had bought out her father's rights at the label, so she wasn't going to sue herself. That's why she convinced them not to go with it. And right. their lawsuit was lost only because too much time lapsed between the time that it was filed or the time that it happened, the time it was filed. They lost on a technicality, not because they were wrong. They were right. It was a technicality of I don't remember the exact one because he talks about so many things in the book. 
I mean, like I said, yeah. you go through that whole book, and you're like, you know, he kind of got slapped by the bolt in him, you know, during the Blizzard of Oz era, you know, the first two record era. But then he right. came back for the next record, and the next record, and the next record. Yeah, yeah. Then with Zach Wilde, then again later on. It's like, you know, when do you learn? When do you, I mean, do you think, like, after not paying you for five albums, she's going to pay you for the sixth and the seventh and the eighth? Uh, you know, it, she doesn't pay you for playing live on tour. And these were in the days when musicians actually made money. I mean, like people like them made money going out on tour, you know, playing with other bands. There were, you know, there were benefits and perks and there were hotels and, you know, uh, room service. And, you know, these were the good days. And if she screwed you back then, why would she not screw you later on? Especially towards the, the latter part of Ozzy's career when, you know, the whole record industry kind of collapsed on itself anyway with the downloads and not buying records and, Right, right. I don't know, but it is a great book, and you got to feel for the guy because let's face it, I mean, he's written some of the best heavy metal songs ever. <laughs> it's no, no, way, no way getting around it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, what are you gonna do? You know, last week I know you were busy. Uh, you had your, your your nephew's birthday. We want to wish uh, Vincent happy. We wish him a happy birthday last week, but we'll yeah, do we it did. again this week. Uh, so you, you weren't here, but I did kind of like a little uh, rundown of the whole Defenders of Old Festival that we spent two days at. Yes, I, I have to tell you, great show, but I don't know. I'm getting kind of old to be sitting there for two days. I don't know about you. I know, I know. Jesus. I was, uh, by by the second night, I was, you know, the first night I didn't sit down till the end, but by the, by the second night, I was looking for a chair like, you know, in the middle. <laughs> I was getting tired and... Thank God there were, were a few chairs sitting in the corner over there, like, you know, because some of the old folks like us had a hard time. But I was saying, man, how great Excited sounded. Man, they sounded like it was like the 80s. Uh, they were just amazing. Yeah, definitely well that was well worth the two days of sitting there, buddy. Dan kept it kept it tight. And yep. top play was on point. Uh, I don't know if that was that the original bass play. I'm not sure about that. Oh, yeah. All the, original, the whole original band. Oh, okay. Yeah, Alan Johnson on bass, John Ritchie on guitar, and wow. Dan on drums. The whole original lineup, yeah. Yeah. And they, they sounded really great. I never realized he played a five-string bass. I don't know if that maybe that's something new that he's been doing. Like over the, I, when, when I say yeah. new, I mean it could be over the last twenty-five years, because uh, right, I don't right, remember right. him but playing it back, back in the eighties. The the they probably, I'm guessing they didn't have five. They had fives back then, but like only jazz people used them. Yeah. That's around yeah. the time I used to work in the guitar stores and stuff. So you just saw it like, you know, no no metal guys or, you know, anybody used that, you know, for five or six string basses, you know. But now yeah, it's like yeah. the norm. I mean, you know, everybody everybody has different models, you know, five. True. You get but it, it was a good... Beat. It was a good festival, a good time, a really cool club to hang out at. You know, uh, uh, the parking was pretty good for the air, which I was surprised. You know, yeah, I thought it was going to be a lot yeah. worse. But hey, we parked right in front of the place both nights in a row. Basically, yeah. So it doesn't get better than that. The, the, you know, the beer was reasonably priced for a club, not too bad. And there were food options in the area. They had some food in there, too. And he rang, He did a great job putting these bands together. And uh, I, I, I can't tell you the bands I'm going to be in next year, Bill, because, you know, I want to let him announce them when he, the time is right. Yeah. Uh, but if he locks in most of the bands that he's trying to get, uh, it's going to be another great show. But I'm hoping that most of them run in one night because I don't know if I could do two nights again. <laughs> I'm oh, just feeling you know old. he's going to split them. Yeah. yeah, I know. But hopefully the ones that we really want to see are all on the same night. <laughs> Even though I was looking forward to seeing Liege Lord and Aggression and uh, Machines of War, which were really enemy. Uh, so that was all pretty cool. Not bad at all. So you got to give it up to him. And I have to, and because I had to get a smaller size shirt, I'm forced to lose like another 20 pounds before I can wear it. So it also helped me out with my diet. So it was a, it was a double. Yeah. He gave you a little push in the, 
push. Yeah, exactly. He gave me the encouragement to not eat for like eight days so I could fit into it. So that was always a good thing. <laughs> All right, my friend. I I know you're busy. And you have to uh, take off uh, a little earlier tonight than usual. But I'm gonna get us some more music, and uh, David uh, Shank will be on right after that. This this one quick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an hour and 15 minutes in already. That's right. Well, we always have fun when we're together. Definitely. All right, All bro. right buddy. Enjoy the rest Enjoy. of the night, and I'll be listening uh, on the replay. And uh, good night, everybody, and uh, thanks for popping in, and I'm popping out. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Take care. Right. Have a good night. There you go. Armed forces. No guts, no glory.
All right, that was Chain Lace with Black Widow. The band was out of Washington, D.C. back in the mid-'80s. They had two demos out in, in 85. They were like a doom-laden uh, metal band with a female singer who I believe passed away a few years ago. Her name was uh, Sherry Blade. And that band had uh, Tim... Uh, I think I want to say his name was Norman. Tim and Norman were in that band. They were also in Hellion. Not the Aunt Bolin band from uh, from out west, uh, but the DC band. They also had a couple of pretty cool demo tapes out. And I believe Norman also played in Bedemon for a while with Jeff O'Keefe, who was in Pentagram, a uh, solid band. And we interviewed Jeff a couple of years ago. That was like a 90-minute interview. I had to <laughs> took up the whole show. Uh, he was a real fun guy to talk to. had a lot to say. Really, really gives you know a deep history of the band and uh, all the stuff that was going on with them at Pentagram back in the day. Some great stories there. Go back to the archives if you want uh, and check it out. All right, but we have David Shankel waiting to come on the show. We have his interview coming up next. How about we get on? You know what? Before we play something off the new uh, David Shankel group record, he also played in Paradox uh, back in the 80s. So uh, how about we get on a tune from uh, Paradox, and then uh, we'll go into something with David Shankel. Or maybe we'll just do David Shankel because I don't think I uploaded the Paradox one yet. All right, so you know what? We'll do something off the burn of David Shankel record, and then we'll get that on. Uh, here's a Fuel for the Fire.
Damn, that new record, that new record is good. All right, let's uh, get this interview with David Shankle going. Hold on a second. Hello, David. This is Mike from Heavy Metal Mayhem. How are you? Hey, brother. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure talking with you today. Okay, I'm looking forward to it, brother. Uh, uh, that sounds great, man. Hey, listen, you know, I go back with you for a long time since the days. Way before Paradox, and uh, I'm glad that you're still doing this, man. 30-something years. I've been kicking it for a very long time, and I'm never going to stop until I die. And even then, I probably won't stop, man. <laughs> That's good to know, yeah. man. Well, it's, it's been a long time since we got new music from you. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, you were talking about this new record, like in 2013. It took a few extra years uh, longer than you were hoping for, I guess, to to make it happen. Yeah, it certainly did. You know, I've just had personnel changes and I moved a few times and then my mom passed away uh, two years ago and I took about a year off from the record and, uh, you know, just, you know, things had gotten in the way and starting and stopping and starting and stopping, but, you know, it's finally there and I got a really, really great kick-ass label behind me and, you know, whatever music everybody's got, it's great, cool, but I'm in the process right now of having the record remixed and remastered within the next week. So whatever anybody's gotten sent to them from the label, that's just a version that the label did. We have contacted them today, and my engineer that mixed my Hellborn record in 2007, Jay Walsh, is already starting to remix the record because those those mixes were done through over the courses of like five six years ago with all different types of preamps the record label we had it mixed and then they took old wave files and mastered it they could they did a good job but you know jay didn't spend the time on it he wanted to and those records were never really supposed to go out and they did what they could with them but we're not postponing the release of the date we're planning on releasing the single Still a Warrior, April 3rd. Jay is remixing that uh, uh, track right now, and they'll have it by Sunday. Then the record label will probably remaster everything, but the record's just getting remixed up the way we wanted it to. But nothing's being postponed. Whatever's been pressed to go to Chipster, who is actually doing our PR, if they don't have time to stop that, he will be getting new stuff because the record's being remixed and mastered as we speak. Wow, you're, you're really cutting it down to the wire with this. Uh, but I guess I guess it's like, you know, over a couple of years, it didn't really sound the way you wanted it to, like, especially now. So it's better to go in and make it the right way. I mean, it's not like you get to do this every exactly. day. Exactly. I mean, it's been eight years this July since I had a record out. What the record company did is it, it's good but it's barely hanging on by the skin of your teeth. No offense. I love them, but I want it to be better, and we're working on that right now. But the record is strong. It's powerful. I mean, it's good. If I have to live with it, I will. But if I got a guy that did my last two records that could step up and redo it within the time frame, then it will be done. So we're shooting for that. But either way, the record sounds great. I'm happy with it. Most importantly, the songs are catchy, and they grab the listener's ear right off the bat. Yeah, they really do. But you know what? You are, like I said, you're better off redoing it the way you want it because how many people years, years later say, you know, I wish we would have put more time into doing this. I wish we could have changed that. And, you know, it, it sucks living with regret when you put something down that's forever. So it is better to get it right, right. at least the way you like it or want it. Right. So we're in the process of that now. So everything's moving forward with that, and I'm happy. 
That's good. Well, you know, you've had a steady lineup now in the band for quite some time. I mean, even though the band is named after you, do you still consider it a band in your heart? Is it a full band where everybody you know, contributes and is, a, it, and is a part of the act? It is a full band with everybody. I write the music. My singer, Warren, writes the lyrics, and then I help him with additional melody lines. I give my drummer basic ideas, and then give him the tune and let him run wild with it for about two weeks. And then we get together, and he records. We make a couple of changes, and everybody puts more than their two cents in. But, you know, my hand is the initial hand of writing everything and, you know, have the final say with everybody what's going on and get things right and get the record deals and use my name from what I developed as a renowned shredder throughout my days of Man of War and my last two records speak for themselves and have sold and done very well. And uh, this record's another stepping stone for me. I'm not going to say it's my magnum opus, but I feel this is my best DSG band to date, and it has the most versatile songs on it and the heaviest of all the last, some of the last two records I did. For me, this record is the best of some of the Ashes CD and the Hellborn CD. Throw on this new one with a brand new singer that I feel is the most versatile and best fitting singer for all the records I've had yet. I love all the past members of my band for what they've done, but I feel this is my strongest band with Gabriel Anthony on drums, Mike Stryker on bass, Warren Halverson on vocals. And I had a guest keyboard player that was in the band, kind of, but I wrote the keyboard parts and composed them. Drake Mephesta came in and played those keyboard parts for me, but he's not in the band. He was just a guest guy to come in and play them for me. Okay, you know, you you just said what I was going to say. Is that I feel like Solar Warrior is a, a combination of Ashes to Ashes and Hellborn, because Ashes to Ashes and then Hellborn, two completely different albums, in my opinion. I mean, you went in two different directions with both of them, but this kind of brings them right. both together. And I thought that was yeah, amazing. Uh, Ashes was more with Tracy, the singer I had, more of a... Uh, having him trying to sing metal and rock, and it's got a lot more keyboard stuff going on with my old keyboardist Shreddy. And then Hellborn, I really brought in the seven-string guitar and kept all the keyboards out of the way and kept it progressive, down and dirty, full step down, seven-string guitars, and brought in a different singer to have more gut in a lower range style singing. Where the third record, Still a Warrior, I took a combination of some of the heavy progressive stuff of Ashes and what I thought was heavy uh, Neo from the Hellborn record and said, let's bring it into the third record and bring a singer in. Warren Alverson sings in the Chicago tribute band called Heaven and Hell, which is a Dio Black Sabbath tribute band. So when he wants to really pull that Dio style out, he can do it. When he wants to pull a white snake docking style vocals, he can do it. I can stretch him like a piece of bubble gum and put him right where I need him in the songs, and he nails it. That's what I love about Warren. And uh, this third record's got, you know, a lot more versatile vocal stuff going on than any of the other previous records. Yeah. You think that's one of the hardest things of putting a band together today or keeping a band together is finding the right people to play with. I mean, it's like trial and error over the years, like, you know, trying out different members. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But is that like right. the hardest thing is right. trying to find, you know, three or four guys with the same vision as you? Exactly. I've had, I mean, each record has had the guys that were in the band. But like on the Ashes CD, Brian Gordon was in the band, the bass player. I played bass on the entire record. I think he played bass on one song. The Hellborn record, we brought Jeff Kylo in from Rack 
dear friend of mine, and he played bass on all that, which was good, and I was teaching him the parts while we were rehearsing and recording, and he did a fantastic job. You know, this record, I played bass on all the songs except for one of them. When we brought the new bass player in, Mike Stryker, I got him to play on Supper and Silence, but every other song that's on the record is me playing bass, but I just give him credit for playing bass on the whole record, you know, because he's in the band. He just came in near the end of the record being recorded, and there was no going back and replaying all those songs and him learning a band, you know what I mean? It was just the time frame, the way people came in the band, stuff was done and it is what it is, you know? Absolutely. Listen, you're an amazing guitar player. I mean, you've probably heard that a million times in your life. You could shred the shit out of that six string or a seven string. But do you know, like, I appreciate is there, like, that, brother. And also, oh, I'm happy that the solo track, the demonic solo for the movie Jezebeth, that was yeah. done in a video a few years ago out on Dark Star Records with a Damien Dante, the producer. That's already being hailed from everybody so far is not the... I'm saying one of the fastest neoclassical shred solos out there for a minute and 40 seconds. You know, Guitar World magazine hasn't recognized it yet, but I hope they do because it deserves to be in their magazine is who's hailing one of the fastest next to me and Mike Badio, Sean Lane, Rusty Cooley, and guys like Joe Stump. It belongs right up there with those guys, man. And they're all friends of mine, too. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And you talk Thank about like, the demonic solo, which is a solo, but when it comes to songwriting, do you know where to draw the line? Because like, you can shred your ass off all day long with your music because that's what you do and you do so well. But there's a line you have to draw when you're writing a song saying, you know, I can really go off here, but I got to keep it to like, you know, a chorus and a verse and, and keep it where people well, are going to listen. Well, brother, you just answered your own question. You've listened to my entire Ashes CD in Hellborn. My writing speaks for itself. And when I do my solos, my solos are played to the song, to fit the song, the melody, when there's two-part harmony, when there needs to be three-part harmony. So there's feel in it. Listen to the song Calling All Heroes I wrote for 9-11, you know, on that awful time when that happened. Listen to the solo that's in there. Everything that's to each song has its place its passion and its desire, and I let the music and the rhythm where the solo is supposed to be talk to me and tell me what needs to be there. It's not always about playing a million miles an hour. My record has got feel, melody, expression, besides technique and speed, all over any track that's on there that shows that I can be a versatile guitar player and why I have the name that I do, is how not only to write, but how to play the correct solo to to the song. I agree. I mean, off that island, going back to like you were talking about calling all heroes, I think Voice of Authority is one of my all-time favorite instrumentals. I mean, it's like 11 or 12 minutes. It's just blistering music. Yeah, Voice of Authority is a guitar solo in four parts, actually, is what that is. It's just a guitar solo broken down into four different parts. Well, it's amazing, and I would love to hear a whole album of that. Have they ever considered just doing well, a instrumental album? I will be working album? on a full instrumental record, but I mean, that had the, the Ashes had the hidden track, E-Dude, and then Daydreams as well. That shows you the flip side of my playing, more like a Satriani vibe kind of thing on the uh, Daydreams track. E-Dude's more of a straight-up progressive neoclassical track. And the new record's yeah. got the Hitman, which features uh, Roger Stauffenbach from Artention, Tommy Vitaly that I played on one of his records with Todd, the singer from Queensryche. You've got Parker Lundgren from Queensryche doing a solo on that track. 
Keaton Clark from my last record he played on, Michelangelo Badio and Joe Stump were all trading off solos on that track called The Hitman. Yeah, I always hear a little bit of fusion playing in your style too. Is that a big influence on you and your and your playing? Mm-hmm. I grew up loving guys like Al Niola, John McLaughlin, Mahu Vishy Orchestra, yeah. the whole nine yards. You know, I loved all those guys. Al Niola was a huge influence on me as well as uh, Sean Lane and uh, Alan Holsworth. Yeah, that's some good stuff. You know, in my younger years, depending on, you know, as you're growing up, you got different influences. You know, being a really, really young teenager, I said to Frank Marino from Mahogany Rush, Michael Shanker. Then came Uli Roth. Then you had your Van Halen's for a while, the Steve Eyes. I loved all the Paul Gilberts and especially the Jason Becker stuff. And that had its influence on me for a while. And then I developed my own style, you know, studied classical guitar for a year and, and took those credits from uh, College of DuPage and then went to Roosevelt University and graduated with my BM degree in Bachelor's of Music from Roosevelt University you know, and study music, and I teach professionally. Uh, my wife and I and her sister and husband, we own real estate school and, and do that as well when I'm not teaching and, you know, and just do my music and do my thing with my band. I got my new signature guitars out with Grossman Guitars out of Romania, and Norman Cox from Madison Amps in Colorado is building the David Shankle signature shredhead right now, which we should have ready the prototype next month in May. You got a lot going on, man. I'm happy for you for that. Oh, you know, God, David, yeah, and I love it. Before, before you said, you know, going back to your younger days, uh, do you remember the first band that you were in where you, maybe not the, the very first, but like the first band where you thought you guys were, were going to make it and take over the world? Well, that really for me was when I was in Man of War. All the bands before that, I was growing up from the garage days of being in my dad and mom's house to moving out into Agent Orange, which I was in my middle teens, and then got in my 20s, and I was you know, playing in some copy tribute bands, and then got into Paradox from Chicago. Then that when, when that was kind of drifting apart, then I went to Vengeance with Mark Odette, and from there I was discovered by Ross the Boss and Joey from Man of War. We all became friends, and when Ross was leaving, even it was perfect for me to come in and that's what really changed it for me and the world got to see me as a guitar player and got to grow and mature and travel around the world i mean manowar put me on the map but my guitar playing spoke for itself and after that manowar record triumph of steel some of my best planes not even on that record it's what joey and eric and them wanted on that triumph of steel and that's what they got boom all of a sudden i come out with ashes to ashes on manowar's label and everybody's like what happened to shankle he sounds like a completely <laughs> different guitar player than he did on the Manowar record. That's because they didn't want me to play that way on that record. But I was able to step out on my own, spread my wings, and be my own guitar player and say, hey, if they can do it, so can I. And there you go with my ashes, Hellborn, and now my third record, Still a Warrior. And I'll let you in on a little secret. If you actually read the lyrics to Still a Warrior, the first song on the record, and think what it's about. That song was actually written in mind about a little bit of my life in Manowar, meaning, hey, you guys were the warriors of Manowar, and I was in the band with you guys fighting the metal war with you guys. But once I left or was out of the band, I'm still a warrior standing on my own with or without you, and I'm doing it on my own, and I don't need you guys as a crutch. 
You can never take away from me what I did in that band, nor would they want to or me want that to happen. I love those guys, but I'm still a warrior after the war, and I'm doing it standing on my own two feet. That's what that album is about for me, is still a warrior after the war, well, you could say still a warrior after Manowar, if you really want the cards laid on the table, brother. Uh, absolutely. Now, you talk about so Manowar, the right? meaning. There's the meaning behind that whole track. I love it, man. Now, Dave, you talk about Manowar. You're Great, a kid, did you're you in... see? It's a kick-ass yeah. album cover, huh? The, the, for the new album, Still a Warrior. Yeah, yeah. Eddie Snyder, my Photoshop guy, one of my photographers, did that. What a great job he did, man. We want to give him a hail for that. Yeah, but the guy in the cover all decked out in the metal armor, absolutely that's beautiful. Right. Still a warrior, man. Still, yeah, that's supposed yeah, to that. be me in the helmet thing, kind of, but whatever. Yeah. We don't really tell anybody. <laughs> that, <so. laughs> that's all right. <laughs> but that's the about... idea. You get it, man? Still a warrior. After the war, after being in Man of War, I'm still a warrior, man. Well, that's the concept. Whether anybody wants to believe that or not, I could give a shit. It doesn't matter. It is what it is. Like the record, you know, great. You know, there's an old saying Joey and I used to say in Man of War. If you've never seen the band, come see us. Hope you like us. We'll put you on the mailing list and throw you a T-shirt if we got any left. If you don't like the band, don't ever fucking come again. You know, <laughs> that's there you the attitude. Go. Yeah, but what about you? Talk about Man of War. You go back to the late '80s. You, you hook up. You join the band. And kind of, in a way, it had to be a double-edged sword because you're in an established band that's real popular. Metal's at its pinnacle at that time. But yet, you're in a band where Joey DeMeo, everyone knows, kind of runs the whole show. Everybody knows that, and it's basically his yep. way of the highway with a lot of stuff. And it has to be a little frustrating to a certain point as you move along over the years where you can't express yourself musically because, you know, you're an artist and that's what you want to do. Right. Is it difficult that the years go by not to kind of be able to contribute what you want because they have oh, their own believe me, brother, on? we everybody from time to time has butted heads with Joey. Why do you think there's been so many different road crew guys and different people come and go in the band? It's his and Eric's band. It always will be, and I was glad to be a part of it and tour the world and play in over 29 different countries, made a name for myself, and I actually did my last two records on their label, Magic Circle Music, yeah, no problem. Yeah. But when it came time to do the third record, Joey was doing his thing, had his issues with whatever was going on with his label and other people on the label with problems or whatever. I'm not going to say anything, but I was able to find a better deal on my own and not have to lean on them for everything I did to be Dave's man of war this, man of war that. You know, so Pure Steel Records stepped up to the to the plate, Marcus and Andreas, and we made a deal, and I did it on my own. And my manager, Johnny Pettigrass, had been with me over 25 years. That was with Man of War before I was even in the band. And, and I'm proud of what I accomplished with that and his help, and I'm proud of everybody in the band. And, you know, Joey and I still talk every now and then. We're brothers of metals. It's just he's on one side of the fence, I'm on the other, just like Ross is on the other side of the fence. He's not in the band anymore. And, God, everybody knows Ross started that band, but Joey came yeah. in and pretty much stole it right out from underneath him and took the horns away, you know. It is yeah. what it is. I got That's nothing right. to hide. I don't give a shit, yeah. you know. Yep. I hear that. You got to do what you got to do. Make Ross. Best We're best friends. Ross and I are best friends, and we talk all the time. That's good to know. Well, you know, look. My manager you know, handles him, and Rhino, our drummer from the Triumph of Steel record. We all are friends and stay in communication, and we all love each other and brothers of metal. 
and we That's all had a piece of the Man of War pie. Let's put it that way. We all had a piece of that Man of War pie. That's true, man. That's and a true. nice big chunk of it, too. I'm glad. So whatever about, whatever no. Man of War will do going down in history, me, Ross, Donnie, and Scott Columbus, God rest his soul, we'll all have our names stamped right alongside them. That's true. That's true, man. Wait, look, you're talking about Pure Steel Records before, your new label that you're on right now. I mean, how do you look at the whole business end of, of music today compared to like when you first got started? It's like night and day. Oh, God, it's completely different night and day. I'm just glad that there's a label like Pure Steel that is into true metal. They have fantastic bands on their label that they've signed. And now they took me on just under two years ago and has worked with me hand in hand, side by side. I gave them the artwork for the cover, and they completely designed the CD booklet and the back and everything did a great job. We gave them the record. They mastered it. They did a great job with what they had to work with, but we're going to make it better like we talked earlier. And everything we've wanted to do, they've worked with me and my manager with the greatest of ease, and I'm very, very happy about that, you know? Yeah, I'm glad. Hey, is anything still going on with Voodoo God? You still got that going? Hold on one second. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, yeah, there was my, an old drummer was calling me. I had to just shut that off for a second. Uh, you know, so I'm happy. A lot of people say, you don't need a record deal. You can put it out on your own. Well, you know what? You can to some extent, and you got to get it mixed, mastered, and imprint your own copies up. And how far are you really getting those records out there besides saying, you know, email me and we'll mail it to you from our website or from my Facebook? Yeah, people yeah. can do that. But when you've got a record deal, a real record deal with promotion, distribution, they pay Chipster, for God's sakes, to promote the record. Anybody in the music business that's anybody knows who Chipster is. Okay, yes. to handle it, to get it out there to the magazines and all that, and, and they're going to be helping us out doing our video and everything. I mean, that's how you can really get exposure and get your CD sold and record labels that have proper distribution through Soul Food and other types of uh, distribution companies. You know, that really helps to get it out there, man, and that's I'm glad to have that because it can reach more of the mass than you just trying to do it on your own. That's my point when it comes to that conversation. Uh, absolutely. You know, like you see today, like a lot of younger bands that are starting out and just coming into the scene, uh, they don't have that mentality or, or the way it was supposed to be. Like, well, you know, you count on your record label to put out that record distribution promotion. Right. They do it on their own today. And they're kind of like, even though the downloading is taking a lot away from the record sales, these younger kids have oh, also God, kind of given up the ship. All that download stuff sucks. But I've noticed they're getting better at it. You got all this Rocket MP3 stuff and these other sites that people have paid like eight bucks for. And for two years, you could go up and put in any artist and just grab their entire record and download it. But I've noticed it through friends and engineer friends of mine that a lot of the new bands and stuff are, are, are bigger bands that are out there are really starting to find a way to put a block on that to where you just can't find their music up there. And I think that's good because too many people go for just for an example. Oh, let's say the new Man of War records out or the new DSG record, and somebody gets it and they start loading it up on all these free sites. Well, over a couple of months, somebody can go, "Wow, I, I wanted to get the DSG record yet, I haven't got it yet." Somebody will, "Here's a link. Go to this site. You can download it for free." Bam! You get ripped off, and you never see a friggin' dime for that. I know that's true, and that's the shame of it all. But hopefully, you know. Like it says, bands will start putting a stop to it, and people start buying them again, and it'll be a whole different situation in the future. Let's hope so.
I hope so. Well, listen, Dave, I'm not going to keep you much longer, man. I appreciate you talking with me today. What do you got coming up right now? The album's being remastered. It's going to be out soon. You're going to get out there and hit the road with the album? Right. We're, we just got a new rehearsal hall, and we're going to be moving in next week for that. Just did a photo shoot. We're doing another one. Like I said, got my signature amp head coming out with Madison. Two of my guitars, the David Shankle DS7 and DS6, is available through Grossman Guitars. Also, if anybody's interested in guitar lessons with me online over Skype, you can contact me through both my Facebooks, David Shankle or David Shankle 2. We have the fan sites, uh, DSG official fan site, my personal fan site. You can go and hit like on to help build up more numbers and reach me through there. And uh, if you want lessons, that's what I do too. I teach over Skype. And uh, when the record comes out, we'll be shooting a live video as well for one of the tracks. We're talking two videos, but we've got one nailed down. And I'm uh, looking forward to just getting some great reviews and getting the band out there and start melding faces. Well, you got one here for me at this show, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys out on the road, David, man. The best of luck with the new record. Right. You did a great job on it. Yeah. Be proud of yourself. Do me a favor, okay, brother? Can you, you send it. me, in your opinion, a quote with your name and what radio station you're from and magazine to my Facebook inbox, a quote of what you think of the record, so I have that to send to the label, and I can paste it all over my Facebook sites if you'd be so kind. You got it, brother. Absolutely. I'd appreciate that. Thank you for the interview. Let's keep in touch, man, and uh, hail and kill, brother. All right, buddy. You take care now. You too, man. Bye. All right, David Shankel of the David Shankel Group. Great guy to talk to over there. Seems like everybody has something to say about Joey DeMeo, huh? <laughs> brother in metal. All right. You know what? I don't even know if we have enough time to play the next song because I'm down to the last five minutes, but we'll get more David Shankel on in the upcoming weeks. I want to thank my guest tonight, Punky Peru from Witch and David Shankel from the David Shankel Group. We'll close things out with one more tune. We're going to wrap it up tonight. Don't forget to tune in Thursday to the Metal Matinee. It's Take These Chains, and next Sunday we're closing out April with Chuck Charles Woodward from Kyria Alazon, and we have everybody from Infectious Infectus 13 calling in, including Sid Falk, the drummer for Overkill back in the day, and Bob Barnock from Speak Kill Hate. So don't forget to tune in. And, man, I can't believe April is right around the corner. We're already lining up a great bunch of guests for the month. I'll have that posted up on the page sometime next week. All right, let me see what we can do right now before we close things out. do have about five minutes left in the show. Agnostic. Now, I was going to play some of the new Agnostic Front, but we'll hold off because uh, Vinny Stigma and Mike Gallo from Agnostic Front are going to be on in a couple of weeks. Uh, so maybe we'll save it for that time and we'll play it then. Let me see. Max Lynx. So we did Hammerhead. Storm Witch. I don't know what to get on here. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of at a loss. All right, here. How about we do this? Let me see here. I was going to play Anvil. Nah, no Anvil. Blah, blah, blah. Black Task. Nah, I don't know about that. And now what? We'll do some Blacksmith. That sounds good. All right, everybody. You take care. It was great hanging out with you like always. We're going to wrap it up here today. We'll close it out with some Blacksmith. Louder than hell. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I will see you guys later on. Take care.
heavy metal anywhere. BlogTalkRadio.com and Heavy Metal Mayhem. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.